0: Welcome to Getting Loud on the Cloud, a podcast for companies who are hosting their largest, most complex workloads on the cloud. Hey, podcast fans, it's your favorite podcast takeover host, Ori Wiseman. I'm the technology solutions lead covering the EMEA region here at Silk with a bit more than 16 years of experience working in tech across industry verticals such as healthcare, financial services and retail. And today I come bearing good news. I'm no longer just a podcast takeover host as I've been elevated to co-host. Yes, yes, thank you, thank you. It's such an honor. But that's enough self-aggrandizement for one episode. Today's podcast is called The CIO's Guide to the Galaxy. And we'll be exploring some of the challenges and opportunities for CIOs as we continue to march forward into a cloud-first world. And we'll be giving CIOs advice on... What to do if you find yourself stuck with no hope of rescue? (laughs) Well, of course no podcast intro would be complete without playing a clip from the movie I based my title on. Great book, by the way. Nerd alert! But let's get down to business. First, we'll start with the distinction between the chief information officer or CIO role and the chief technology officer or CTO role. Now, this podcast is going to focus mainly on the CIO role, but a lot of this stuff is relevant for CTOs as well. And this is kind of why I want to bring this distinction to the forefront of our minds before we really dive into the material. While both roles are generally considered part of the executive suite, at least in my experience, the CIO is usually the more senior role. And in many cases, CTOs will report to their respective CIOs. The biggest distinction between these two is who they are serving. The CIO is generally serving the organizational itself, focusing on information technology processes and operations, internal services delivery, and tools for employee productivity. Think like who provides you with Microsoft Exchange or access to Microsoft 365 or the Office application suite. That's going to be something that the CIO is generally making decisions about and delivering and handling any support requests for. While the CTO will generally serve the organization's customers with product and services development and delivery, technology and vendor research with specific focus on leveraging technology to increase resources and revenue. And to be clear, when I say resources, I'm referring to outside investment from venture capital firms or individuals, especially if the company is a pre-IPO startup. Investors are all generally going to be more excited to hear from a CTO before a CIO, as they'll view the CIO as a cost center to be managed, whereas the CTO can talk about the potential and get everybody excited about the technology, product, or service. Now, let's further bring the differences of these two roles into focus using a couple of examples. And we'll use a company called the Acme Corporation of Looney Tune Lore to build out our example. We'll say that Acme Corporation works in entertainment and their product is making cartoons. In this example, the CTO might focus on building a platform to stream their catalog to millions of users and leveraging user-generated data to understand things about their user base that would help them build a better product. For example, what type of cartoons their users are most interested in. Maybe some movies or cartoons are getting canceled in the middle, they stop watching. Maybe others they're watching all the way through and watching more than once. So leveraging this type of data, clickstream data, usage data, would be something that the CTO would want to look at in how to improve the product for the future. Maybe even cartoons being generated with different graphic design technology, trying different techniques in terms of creating these cartoons, that may also provide insight as to what technology to further invest in and what technology to divest in. And this is the type of thing that the CTO would focus on. Now, on the flip side of this coin, the CIO might determine what cloud provider and specific cloud services to run this platform and infrastructure on, and they would manage all those costs and the service level agreements or SLAs. So they would be dealing with support requests if the system Experiences downtime or has some issues that need to be immediately fixed, they would deal with the ticketing system. uh, And they would also, as I mentioned, manage all of these costs to ensure that they're staying within budget. Another way to look at this is from the perspective of the product itself, the cartoon. The CTO might conduct extensive research on what graphic design software to leverage, while the CIO would ensure designers using that software all have the proper product licenses in place while ensuring that the workstations that this software runs on are powerful enough to effectively use the software. And anything surrounding the providing of these workstations, the decommissioning of these workstations, the refreshing of these workstations, or support tickets with issues experienced on these workstations, either from the graphic design software itself, the OS running on the workstation, or hardware issues with the workstation itself. All of those would be in the purview of the CIO. Now that we're all smarter about the differences between the CTO and CIO role, we're going to shift focus onto the CIO. The CIO at their core is a people manager. They will generally manage larger teams and those teams will have more diverse skill sets. as one of their primary focuses will be employee productivity. And productivity can be managed and delivered in a variety of ways across a variety of business units. Consider for example, an individual needing to create a document how fast this individual can produce this document in relation to how professional the document looks or how informative the document is, making sure that the information is relevant for the purpose the document is being created. It's not too long, it's not too short. There's a number of different ways that you can think about productivity and measuring that productivity in the form of creating a document. Now consider the tooling that they would be provided by their CIO ultimately to create this document. If all they had to work with was Notepad, it would be very difficult to produce this document. Something that people take for granted is the undo and redo functions. In Notepad, you can only do undo or redo one operation, whereas in something like Microsoft Word, you can do that for a number of operations and it makes it much easier to edit those specific documents. Now consider the effort required to deliver a Notepad application to your user base as a CIO or a Microsoft Word application to your user base as a CIO. Notepad is essentially a no effort free delivery where the CIO doesn't have to really do anything. They just need to provide their users with laptops and every flavor of OS out there has Notepad on it in one form or another. No licenses to manage, no deployments to manage. It just comes with something they already have to deliver. Whereas for Microsoft Word, you'd generally be using something called Microsoft 365 formerly known as Office 365. This takes careful planning and execution at the CIO level to deliver something like this to your base of users. Now, finally, consider the scope of the delivery for this application suite, uh, whether it's Notepad or Microsoft 365. It's going to be just about everyone in the company all the way up to the CEO. Everybody's basically gonna be needing this software in order to do their daily jobs and execute their daily routines. Our second example of productivity is gonna focus on a sales team. Consider a salesperson from this sales team that's going to try and pitch their product to a customer or client, and they have no information about who the customer is or what they do, or if they have the budget, or if there's a good product fit. Unless you're a supremely gifted salesperson, like say Alec Baldwin from Glengarry Glen Ross, you're gonna have a very difficult time driving sales because you don't have the data or the tools necessary to understand if you can sell to a specific customer get them to sign on the line which is dotted we're going to go through this same progression as we did for the first exam so let's consider now what it would take to deliver such a solution from the cio and their teams it's going to be difficult right because there's probably going to be a level of customization you might start with a platform like salesforce But you'll still want to customize your sales qualification cycle and all the other good things that you can do in Salesforce to make it specific to your organization. Or you might want to build some custom data solution that's going to provide other insights to the sales teams, maybe even roll-ups up roll to the executives to make sure that all of the sales teams are on target. These become way more specific, way more customized solutions, and they're much more difficult to deliver. You're now gonna have to be planning, building teams around them, thinking about licensing costs, runtime costs, support costs. What's the uh, ticketing system to support this gonna look like if people have issues while they're in the field, et cetera, et cetera. And then, Let's think about the scope. This is a much more narrow scope than our productivity suite Microsoft 365 would be because that's going to basically everyone. But here we're only delivering it to a specific set of users. So just to come back full circle, when you're thinking about what a CIO is going to be delivering to their customers, which is generally everybody in the company, they really need to think about these different aspects, these different teams, and they'll have to put in place much more diverse skill sets. Someone who can deliver a Microsoft 365 solution is not necessarily someone, and probably not someone, who can deliver a custom data analysis or sales tooling type of solution. So, this can start to get very difficult to manage all of these different things as a CIO. My advice to CIOs here, and I think this is really how CIOs can build a bedrock, a fundamental bedrock for how to be successful in their organizations, it doesn't even matter what industry, I think this applies across all verticals. But number one, and I think number one has a healthy lead over number two, is I'll use a saying, and I've said this a lot in the past, especially for my consulting days when I interfaced a lot with CIOs on how to deliver solutions. You'll never have enough time to do it right, but you'll always have enough time to do it again. This is the number one killer of CIOs that I've seen. Because everybody has this certain level of panic when it comes to delivering a project. It's gotta be delivered by this time. It's gotta be delivered this way. We need to customize it this much. You know, this kind of comes into play a little bit with the 80-20 rule, right? Designed for 80% of the functionality, not 20% of the edge cases. But I digress. Really at the core of this is saying, be thoughtful, be strategic, and make sure that you're giving yourself and your teams enough time to properly execute and deliver. And the second piece of advice that I'll give to CIOs is leadership hiring. You really, really need to make these different teams as autonomous as possible. And I strongly advise having flexibility between these teams and how they operate. Instead of having a rigid top-down or flat structure where everybody has to operate in the same way, if you can hire the correct leaders, the good managers, people that are gonna motivate in a positive way their teams, you can trust those leaders to build the teams in the way they see fit to deliver the solutions that they need in the way that will help your organization and will ultimately help you partner with the business because as a CIO, that's your number one job to enable the business, to enable the company. It's interesting because this sort of philosophy that I'm outlining here is really in line with where software development has gone as well. Everybody's moving towards agile, iterative type of deployments of software. And it's kind of the same thing here when you're thinking about individual teams under you as a CIO. You want these teams to be very agile, to be very tightly coupled with one another, to rely on each other uh, in a way that they can kind of produce quickly, efficiently, without much roadblocks from outside influence that doesn't necessarily understand what is best for that team or, or doesn't have the best interest of that team at heart. And it's really hard to design a top down or kind of flat management infrastructure that everybody has to follow and expect everyone to really execute in a fast, efficient, and agile manner. So in that sense, this is kind of similar to a lot of what we see in in where the SDLC has gone from this waterfall approach, this more agile iterative based approach. Everything I've talked about so far in these examples has kind of had an underlying assumption, and that is that the CIO knows what's best for their customers. And their customers are the employees of the company. Now, any CIO worth their weight in gold is not only going to interface regularly with their direct teams, but also with leaders, managers, and individual contributors across all business units. Really, as we said, all of the company employees are the customers of the CIO and their teams. And to certain degrees, even the CIO's teams are their own customers because they're still going to be using the productivity software that they may themselves be rolling out. Uh, to the entire company. Now, there's a number of ways for CIOs to kind of go about figuring out what's best for their customer base or for their company's employees. And actually, I'm a huge fan of anecdotal insights on top of data itself, because usually the anecdotes will tell a story that the data alone cannot. There's a really great quote here from Amazon founder, Jeff Bezos, who himself is a great lover of anecdotal data. The quote goes, The thing I noticed is when the anecdotes and the data disagree, the anecdotes are usually right. It's a very thoughtful quote. And actually, what it's saying, or at least what I'm interpreting it to say, it's not that you know data-driven decision-making is bad or fundamentally flawed. It's that you can use anecdotes in a way to ensure that the analysis you're conducting and the data that you're using isn't fundamentally flawed. Think like correlation doesn't imply causation. Data may tell a story, it just may not be the right story. And sometimes the easiest way to kind of fact check that data is to look at the anecdotes. And to get the anecdotes, You really, as a CIO, have to be a person of the people and for the people. You have to understand the people. And when I'm saying the people, I'm talking, of course, about your company. The only way to really do that is to go out and talk to them and to be someone that isn't a frightening figure. A lot of times executives will have this kind of frightening effect on the employee base because they're looked at as such uh, high levels of leadership, people that you don't see very often that you want to impress. So there's a lot of pressure coming down from there and a way to ease that pressure is really to mingle amongst the employees of the company in more of like a non-threatening friendly colleague to colleague type of way. Additionally, I want to note that while people might simultaneously fear the interaction with the CIO or others from the C-suite, they are simultaneously craving this interaction. And you can really kill two birds with one stone if you go out and mingle with all levels of employment in the company, from leadership to mid-level managers to individual contributors. If you do that, you can simultaneously diffuse this notion that you're a scary leader who only comes out of the corner office every so often to bestow wisdom upon the masses Uh, and you can actually start to have friendly relationships with uh, more and more people in the company and as you do that and diffuse that stereotype uh, unfortunately that exists with the c-suite people will start to open up with you they'll start to talk to you about the things that you want they'll give you these anecdotal stories you can get this feedback from them in kind of a non-intrusive non-stressful way where they're not really feeling a pressure or spotlight to give certain types of feedback or just to automatically praise whatever's going on because they fear for themselves or their position or for their potential future in the company. So again, it's really a good way to kill two birds with one stone by making yourself available at all levels of the company. The last piece of advice that I'd like to give here to the CIOs out there is that don't push your employees to the brink. If they're working weekends, every weekend in the evenings, if the company is constantly putting out fires, if the level of maturity of technology doesn't seem to move forward quickly, these are all signs that there needs to be change in the organization. And if you can get ahead of that, and recognize it and fix it, then you can definitely keep your job longer. And this kind of pivots into the concluding point that I wanna make here. And that's the CIO is actually one of the, has one of the highest rates of turnovers of the entire C-suite. So a lot of times CIOs are kind of unfairly held to certain standards. They're unfairly scrutinized because they're really just a cost center. Very few times CIOs will provide any sort of revenue to the company that's more based on the product teams and it'll generally be under the CTO's purview. So CIOs have a very hard job, there's no doubt about that, but they also have a very high level of turnover. And I've run into lots of different CIOs over the years that will push their teams to the brink. And this kind of ties back into that first piece of advice that I gave in saying that you'll never have enough time to do it right, but you'll always have enough time to do it again. There's almost never a reason to push your employees to the brink like this. And if you are, it's probably a sign that the systems aren't operating as they should, and it's time to take a look at the operational value of platforms. And what I mean by that is a lot of times you'll look at a platform for what you think the technology outcome of that platform is, but you won't look at the operational aspect of what it's going to take from your team to operate it. Is it going to be an increased level of operational effort or a decreased level of operational effort? And I will nine times out of 10, choose the technology that has the decreased level of operational effort over technology that might produce a better technical outcome. I think Microsoft Office or Microsoft 365 is a good example of this because it's a it's got a really good streamlined way of deploying and Microsoft has kind of built this uh, deployment framework into their OS and systems over decades. uh, So it's actually very mature and it's a very good way of deploying a very highly productive tool to everyone in the company in a very fast and efficient manner. One that will reduce the operational effort required to deploy and manage this type of productivity software. Well, that's a wrap on the CIO's Guide to the Galaxy. I hope you found it insightful, and thanks for listening. You can always connect with me on LinkedIn and jump in my DMs. I'm very happy to talk to anybody that listens to my podcast. And now that I've been elevated from guest host to co-host, you can bet that I'll be back. Getting Loud on the Cloud is sponsored by Silk, the database supercharger on the cloud. Want to get the fast performance your databases need on the cloud? The Silk Cloud Platform can help. Learn more at silk.us. Thanks for listening.